Welcome everyone to today's Talk Polymath episode. I'm Terry Schindler from Polyplexus. For those of you joining us for the first time, Polyplexus is the host of this podcast. We're a platform for scientific and technical creators focused on accelerating interdisciplinary connections and innovation through evidence-based conversation. You can join us at polyplexus.com. So now let me introduce our Talk Polymath guest. We're so pleased to have Dr. Eric Klingenberg from the Mars Advanced Research Institute, where he leads the materials science platform. Um, welcome, Eric. We're happy to have you. Hi, Terry. Thanks for having me today. Glad to be here. And I think that everyone listening is probably familiar with M&Ms, Twix, Lifesavers, but maybe less familiar with the Mars Advanced Research Group. So maybe you could start by telling us when the group was established and why. Sure. Yeah. So the Mars Advanced Research Group was established in, in 2013. And really, it was established a bit out of the recognition that um, you know, our brands and our brand teams, right? So we have uh, three major divisions, Mars Regular Confections, which you're most familiar with, Mars Pet Care, and Mars Food, and, and Edge is the, the third one. And so what happens is those segments get very focused on research today, driving the business, what's happening right now to drive stuff. And there was a recognition at the sort of corporate level that we might be missing stuff on the horizons, right, that we could bring in faster if we were involved in. And so that's really uh, the genesis of uh, the Mars Advanced Research Institute. We're a, a small group. Uh, a bit modeled after DARPA, right? There's a few of us scientists, each with a different discipline. Um, and our role is to really look at the outside, work with external research partners to identify technologies that would spark innovation, right? And, and then bring that more rapidly into Mars uh, through funding and partnership. And so I know you also have, and we don't need to belabor it, a, a, a brand initiative around sus sustainable in a generation. How does your work contribute mm -hmm. to that effort? Yes, our group contributes across our sustainable in a generation plan. Uh, my role as a material scientist is really the last three years has been focused on packaging uh, and really looking at how we can improve our packaging uh, to be more recyclable, um, to use less packaging, uh, to, to decrease the amount of packaging we're using, and, and really to do that quickly, um, and what new technologies are out there to do that. So I'm specifically focused on packaging. There are others in our group that might be more on regenerative agriculture or others that are talking back in our supply chain. So there's some interconnectivity, but... We, we fit across uh, as a group and you know, we each, our projects sort of match up to those sustainable generation plans. So interesting. So let's talk about the scope and challenge of public packaging in snacks. Basic, so how big is it? And I'll, let me start by, I'm asking you that question, but I'm going to ask a more specific question. Frankly, today, does plastic recycling work? Because I've read that only 2% of plastic packaging is recycling in same or similar quality products. Yeah. So I think you're, you're adding a lot of clarifiers on there too, which is what we get at, right? And I think this is the confusion across plastics in the recycling industry. And, you know, um, I think it can work. And I'll clarify it. You know, as we go through in different regions of the world or different parts of the world, it works at different levels. 
and that's including different materials. And so part of our challenge is that, you know, recycling is different even town to town. I think if you live in the United right. States, right, you know, one, one town accepts certain materials for recycling, the next town is different. So it gets to a high level of confusion. I think there's, you know, there's more to it there that, that goes back and forth and, and for snacks and, and packaging, I think you have to, you have to really step back and think about why we've done what we've done in packaging. And so, you know, I like to think about it from a, a snacks or, or food packaging and on the go packaging perspective is we focused on front end sustainability. So moving to flexible packaging, we've become extremely material efficient. We use less raw materials. We can pack more in trucks. We use less gas and fuel to go around to distribute our products. And, and so there's less waste ultimately, but that becomes really hard to recycle them because recycling is based on mass. And so we, we often do complex structures to get the performance properties we need um, in these flexible packaging materials. And then that, renders them almost non-recyclable by current methods. Oh, how interesting. So let's clarify for everybody. What does flexible packaging mean? Yeah. So flexible packaging, think of, you know, for Mars, a Snickers wrapper, a chips bag, a, a bread bag, uh, the, all those thin films uh, of packaging that, that go out there. And, you know, the majority of Mars portfolio, I would say is flexible packaging. We have some Got widgets it. that are more, you know, have more structural integrity. But I think you've seen a, a lot of people move away from, you know, the rigid plastic to, to flexible Got plastic it. just to take out plastic. So, Right. And also that was why I was trying to understand the scope of it because when I think of a package of M&Ms or a package of gum, I don't actually think of that the same way I think of, let's say, plastic soda bottles. Um, right. And so, so what, but, but the scope is huge, right? Or you wouldn't, that's why you're looking at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, probably the, a great example. So when you see a soda bottle or a water bottle, I think most consumers say, oh, recyclable. I know what to do with that, right? Because it's the format, it's a, you know, limited in terms of design, right? Not a lot of different plastics in there. Right. And then when we get to something like a, an M&M's wrapper or a chips bag, there's multiple layers of different materials in there to make that function, but we've reduced the amount of plastic or packaging that we have to use and we have to ship. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a challenging problem because we, we were focused so much on the front end, I think as an industry and, and all the good that flexible packaging does in that front end that we've, we've kind of missed a bit of the back end and then how hard it is to recycle those and they just don't go away. I think on the other side, what we what we worry about is people are so focused on recycling today that they forget the front end sustainability metrics that we've already achieved. And so how do we balance those for a better future? And, and that's really a lot of what we talk about is don't think of flexible packaging as, as ultimately bad. Think of it as good, but how do we how do we help better design for the end of life as well? And so can we find the sweet spot there? And so Let's talk about like what what would you compare the opportunities you have here to look at the end of life for flexible flexible packaging? How would how do you think about it? How do you break that down? 
Yeah. So I think we break it down like most companies break down. One is, can we reduce the amount of packaging we're using in certainly virgin plastic? And so that comes, you know, for you as the consumer, you would see it as um, less excess packaging, right? So we don't double right. wrap things as much. We're, we're more conscious of that. Maybe smaller bags, right? So when you buy uh, like a chips bag or something, there's, there's air and space built in to protect those. Can we take away some of that headspace? Um, you know, the other portion of that is, you know, can we reuse? And, and so a lot of things, depending on the business model we're trying to approach is, can we do reuse models where we design a package that's more durable, um, but we can have a reuse for that packaging. And so, you know, much like probably when I was young, I remember taking the soda bottles back to the grocery store yeah. and having them reuse them. Can we can we do that and make it work economically and sustainably? Um, and then we focus on, you know, after those two, we really focus on recycling and compostability. And so there's probably room for both. It depends on, on region and application that we're doing, but can we redesign to be more recyclable? Um, and, you know, in other cases where we see things that are, are challenging to recycle because it's associated with food, it's got a high food contamination, it's really small and, and lightweight, can we design it to be compostable uh, and, and fit a recycling stream there? And so I think those latter two become extremely challenging because it's not just a materials or packaging design problem, it's an infrastructure problem. It's right. a consumer problem, right? It, it's just way more complicated than here's your new package design. Here you go. And, and somebody's going to solve it. Yeah. So I have two questions based on that. Hold the consumer thought. But is there one opportunity here? Is there anything that looks like low-hanging fruit from a research point of view? Uh, or yeah. is all of it just super complex? It's all super complex and that's part of the excitement around it. You know, we see, um, you know, advanced recycling and, and so these chemical recycling technologies that would enable us hopefully to get back to uh, a virgin like plastic. So you talked about equal use in the beginning, right? Does recycling work? Is it equal use? So not just taking say um, the, the plastic and making a park bench or a bucket out of it. Downcycling. Downcycling, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think those are great opportunities, but it we don't get back to the original value, right? And, and performance properties. And so how can we do that better? Um, so there's some progress in advanced recycling and in different places, and, and we support those activities and we're curious as to how they'll play out. I think, uh, you know, it's, it can be difficult because we've got to collect a lot of material. You've got to still sort and clean and, and do stuff. And then, you know, on composting, you know, there are, there are different challenges. One is we, we have a whole new material set that we have to play with. We have to think about what, what really happens because um, you know, we've designed packaging for traditional plastics, you know, based off of polyethylene, polypropylene, mostly in the packaging industry and, and PET for bottles, so the polyethylene terephthalates. When we talk about plastic packaging, it, it's complex. There are certain properties. And when we say, okay, now we want it to be compostable, well, how do we maintain those performance properties, but then design in compostability? To degrade. Level, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. 
so, and I want to get into some of what that challenge looks like, but before I do, it does strike me as an interesting um, situation in research because it seems like there's both a consumer education and behavior problem, as well as a research problem. And those don't always go hand in hand um, because nobody really understands. Like, I, I mean, I used to have a sign at the recycling center near me that said a quality sort depends on you. And I just felt so much pressure. I was like, I, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. what I'm doing. So, um, how, you know, and yet you've got your research problems as well. And so do you, do you think about the consumer education behavior issue? Or are you just focused on the, the research and, and oh, science? Oh, we think about it all the time. Right. Um, you, you know, and it, I think there are some that'll, they'll say, we just have to educate the consumer more, right? We have to educate the consumer more. And I think educating the consumer is a good thing and I think it helps, but in, in reality, we need to make it simple as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I give you, gave you the bottle example. Do you know what plastic bottles are made of? I, I couldn't, without looking at the bottom of my bottle, I would not be able to tell Right, you and it's a number, right? So it's a number that's confusing mm -hmm. to people, but you know, your bottles are made out of different plastics, whether it's a water bottle or soda bottle, and, and those get segregated at the recycling, the collection and sorting center uh, before they go off to be recycled. So what I would argue is that while we have a lot of on-pack labeling to help educate the consumers, one of our struggles is if if I make a, a package for a product from Mars and, you know, a competitor does a similar package and it looks the same, but it's made out of different materials, it may get sorted differently. Right. And that's a real challenge in the industry now is how do we, how do we get through that with a consumer, but also, you know, are there things that we can do, you know, higher level beyond us through government regulation, EPR, to focus on making sure the right applications use materials that that are recyclable and easy to sort um, at the sorting centers, but also recognizable by the consumers to sort. Okay, so you that's a great segue because you said um, I know I've read some things you've said about innovation is like a team sport, and so now more than ever the opportunity to change things has to go beyond competitive boundaries. But at the same time you're all individual companies. You're a very large company. I think you make more revenue than Coca-Cola. What do you see as the most promising possibilities for innovation across competitive boundaries? Is it more a stand set of standards? Is it, um, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that helps, but I think also, you know, as, as we go out and talk, you're, you know, as we've learned in this space, you're seeing our messages are, are surprisingly similar. Mm -hmm. right for the sustainability and then recycling i think the other thing you'll see is that there are many of us that that join similar consortiums uh so the closed right. loop consortium on composting and others we have active roles in there with competitive and peer companies where we're providing guidance and opinion uh, from our company's perspective but the closed loop is really signed with you know rolling that up and what does that mean and, and how do we innovate and what's the state of the industry and so I think those are those are good things to have happen. Um, you know, you mentioned you know as we're preparing for this podcast, the the DOE workshop that I led with uh, the Advanced Manufacturing Office and Bioenergy Technologies Office um, of the DOE, and really that was part of us saying, 
oh, we need to really talk through this as a group and, and get together and hammer out where are the challenges and, and really be specific about what challenges we're facing so we can have, you know, governments know where to put their funding. Right. Right. So it's like, you know, we're kind of defining here's the challenge space. So governments can say, okay, we're going to fund this aspect of the research because we think the, the collective thinks that's the challenge, right? Or, or these are the four areas. And that all helps us together, right? And I think that's where we're, we're very pre-competitive in that stage why we're, we're sort of directing and identifying the challenges where we want researchers to focus. So that's really interesting. So let's talk about some of those collaborative innovations that are sort of um, coming about. So I've heard about biomimicry inspired packaging design. What does that entail? Yeah, so I think when we... We look back at a, a lot of things, you know, nature is just this wonderful, amazing area that, you know, nature does things that we can't only think about uh, sometimes. And a, a lot of what we're trying to do is, you know, when we go back and say for barrier properties or something for packaging, we, we look at back, how, how does nature design a barrier for packaging, right? You've got oranges, bananas, apples, that have a, a sort of natural packaging on them that last, right? And make those, those fruits last. How do they work? How are they structured? Can we think about that? Can we take those, learn from those design elements and mimic them, right? In a package to, to get what we want. And so it's not just, you know, put metal foil down, wrap it in metal foil and seal it up and it's good to go. It's, you know, what does, what does the package really need to do? Uh, for our product shelf life, and then can we design that in, and can we do it efficiently and economically, and, and still enable recycling? So, it's a biomimicry in a sense. We're taking learnings from nature and, and turning it into using it for sort of our applications. And I think I mentioned to you at the beginning. I feel like every day you open your phone, there's some news article about a breathless headline about a new microbe that eats plastic and we're going to be fine and they're going to just eat all the plastic and that'll be fine. But can, maybe you could talk a little bit about biological recycling and what that does really look like and how feasible that is. Sure. Yeah. And I'll just lead off with, I think we live in interesting times, right? So I, I know what you know, polyplexus is trying to do. And I think bringing together scientists, and I think it's awesome. I think we also live in a time where we're, it's easy to get sound bites out and it makes it more challenging for us as researchers and others, because one of the things we have to do is we have to sort through all that to say what's real, what's not real. And, it, and we're getting inundated with it every day. And so, you know, I hear things like we got a new micro, we got a new enzyme. What I'd say is, you know, 90 some plus percent of the time that's focused on polyethylene terephthalate and, and those are technologies that people are developing, but it's one plastic. And I think we tend to think of things more on application. What are the properties? What are the performance? And it may not be one plastic that solves the problem. So I'm a firm believer that there's no hero material out there that it's just one material going to solve all our problems. We're going to have to make these complex constructs. And I think, you know, that's true whether we're doing recycling. So people are doing that with polyethylene and in different ways you stretch polyethylene or produce polyethylene. It can be more chemically recyclable through pyrolysis or through those advanced recycling technologies. In the 
biological recycling area, really what we're looking at is, you know, either aerobic or anaerobic recycling. So using microbes to break down materials to, to use products, right? So CO2, water, and biomass uh, that can be used as a soil amendment fertilizer on the, on the back end. And so that can be either through you know, anaerobic digestion systems, and most often you're going to hear us talk about composting systems. Uh, so really where we're using, you know, aerobic systems, food waste, yard waste, how do we compost at scale and, and do that in a, an efficient manner? But it all depends on, on microbes breaking it down. Uh, okay. You know, really biology getting involved. And, you know, we've talked about the difficult... Uh, the difficulty with all the different regulations, even town to town, right? Municipality to municipality. Yeah. If, if there were at some point a breakthrough, let's just say in chemical or biological recycling that really was impactful at scale, do you think that that change could come bottom up so that you would say, hey, government, this works at scale? Now, like, do you, have, do you think you have to have the solution before you can get the standardization across? all these things is, I guess, my question. Yeah, I think it's mixed, right? So I think we're, we're seeing, a, you know, take composting, for example, we're seeing a lot of local composting, you know, be very successful, right? And diverting food waste and, and, and a super important thing to keep food waste out of landfills and, and turn it into, you know, valuable product instead of just landfill gas. Uh, so they're running successful businesses. They're doing good things. And I think that's what we're seeing with, you know, the U.S. Uh, the bill that's coming through the United States on waste infrastructure. Composting has made that. Uh, it's starting to get to the government level where the government can, you know, hopefully it passes the house and the government says, yeah, we're going to fund more composting around so that it's not just grassroots. Um, so I think that's a great example of where, you know, maybe some local things have started that have now sparked okay. to a higher level. I think the other side of it is there, you know, the higher level pushdown still has a role to play, you know, help us clean up, setting some guidelines, making sure that it's, you know, there are consistent standards uh, mm -hmm. for evaluating things, you know, and, and the compostable area is one of these that's, that's new and we're working on this with the U.S. Plastics Pack, uh, the Closed Loop Consortium, which is, how do we define the rules, the design principles for packaging that's intended for composting? You know, we have composters that we're talking to and are on, on that same work team that are giving us feedback as to what they would want, what they don't want. Um, so really you're working across the systemic value chain, if you will, right? to, to start to, to define what it is we want, what it is we need. And so, I think you know, on the call this morning, even uh, with the team, you, there are people that have compostable phone cases and, and we're kind of like, great, don't want them. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's <laughs> partly because, you know, it's not associated with food. So it's not helping us divert food and it's not a, con a contaminant in the compost system today because it's not food packaging, but man, if it's compostable, it will be a contaminant. And then we're just, challenging the system more and more so again you know what should be compostable what what should so be interesting great. yeah and i'm trying to digest that no pun intended i i think um you've also been outspoken about the need for a new type of thinking in which waste and recycling are seen as a resource 
and provide an opportunity for high value products. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think this is a great example and, and composting is, is one of them. So I, you know, love it. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for the future and especially in communities that may not have a lot of waste infrastructure, composting can, can be easy to set up and one of those things we can do. You know, when we talk about recycling in general, and you've talked about it, we, we downcycle often or you hear those comments, right? Mm-hmm. The, the value of the products is in the performance that we have, right? And so mm-hmm. people think, well, the value is in the material, but that material is essentially zero value now that it's outlived its useful life. We go into the recycling system and then we have to create value from that material on the outset. And it's usually by mass. Right. And so what is the, the mass material? And what is the volume of material? And so for aluminum cans, that's well-defined and you see the recycling go up, uh, you know, for, for that particular material. As we go forward into composting, there's so much more there that we can do with biology than just generate soil or generate methane and CO2. And I think we're seeing that in the forefront of, you know, what we see in the sciences, right? So you see new enzymes making meat. You see Mm -hmm. uh, other waste programs. There's companies that actually make uh, some of the polymers that we'd like to use that are compostable polymers and plastics from high organic waste content. And and so when we rethink that, there's a lot of innovation that could happen at that level to say, we're not just going to generate soil. That's you know, amendments that could be one of our products, but what else could we do to drive the economics of the system, increase collection and help them generate money? And we're just sort of at that time frame in, in the science world where you know, DNA sequencing is cheap. We're able to start really defining en- enzymes and, and new biological pathways. So what else could we do in that space uh, to really open it up? So really reframing the problem yeah, really thinking about it, not from just our packaging side, but if we want to take care of waste in, in general and, and we can sort, you know, how do we make economic value instead of just digging a hole in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what drives it is, you know, the, the economics are going to drive us collecting waste and turning it into something new. So we have to be thinking about how do we develop valuable products? Yeah, so, it's... it's- it's an economic problem. It's a science problem. It's a consumer problem. Right. There's a lot of intersecting. It's, it's a government problem, right? It, there's a lot of intersecting. Yeah. If you're an ambitious problem solver that likes to connect with other people, this is the place to be. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, seriously, it's uh, the number of people I get to talk to outside of the science field or within the science field and, 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 I would say there's a lot of passion uh, about this, which is great. And a lot of people want to do the right thing. So there, there's this, you know, sort of openness to banter things back and forth and be okay to be wrong or, you know, but you're willing to listen to the other side and, and hear composters problems or put your boots on and go see a compost facility and see how they really operate. Um, it has been fantastic and fantastic for me. It's a great learning experience and it's really, you know, changed my thinking around how do I develop new materials, right? So you sort of walk that value chain a bit and um, that perspective is, it, 
it's just, you can't put a value on how important that is. So you mentioned earlier the Plastics for a Circular Economy initiative with the government, mm-hmm. so with DOE. Can you explain a little bit further about that initiative and, and maybe how we or how Mars thinks about a circular economy when with regards to plastic? Yeah, so really we, we hope that our plastic packaging never becomes waste just in a landfill. We hope it gets turned into something more useful. And so mm-hmm. that's really what we mean by that circular economy is keeping our our plastic not as just a, a waste that, that fills a hole or is, or is somehow littered. Um, you know, when we're looking at that as, you know, how do we design materials or select materials on the front end, but also that back end. And that's really what that workshop was about is not to say there's one right or wrong recycling methodology. There's not one right or wrong material. We, we sort of broke it down by different pathways for applications, different recycling, and, and what are the challenges for each. And then, you know, we even think about what applications fit that. And, and, and that's really about having that discussion among scientists, uh, material providers, waste handlers. So, you know, waste management was there giving talks, uh, composting mm-hmm. facilities were, were there giving talks and providing feedback. And so bringing together those people to really talk about the challenges and define potential solutions, but then highlight where we needed help, right? We don't know. And I think, I mean, that's the important part of science, right? What, what don't we know? You know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of start to talk about, okay, we don't know this area well enough, so let's go research it. Or we don't have a material that could do this. Let's go fight, figure out if we can make it happen. Um, and throughout, yeah. does, is there a sense of urgency around the problem? Because I think, um, I don't know, maybe MacArthur Foundation predicted by 2050, the oceans will contain more plastics than fish by weight, assuming current rates of leakage and growth and consumption, you know, is there a sense that the clock is ticking as you're searching for these innovations? Yeah, very much so. So there's a sense that the clock is is ticking and and we're always like, oh my goodness, we're running behind, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But there's also the sense of there will be technology nodes that will hit along the way. Right. And, and so a first order business for, for someone like Mars is, okay, let's take all the excess plastic out that we don't need. Yeah. Let's get it gone. Right. It's something easy we can do. Let's make it happen now. Um, you know, the other side of it is, can we, where we can, where can we source and get recycled plastic content that's approved and certified for our packaging and let's help that along and let's bring it. So we, we start to help the recycle industry. And I think as we go down there, we'll, we'll see that, you know, progress through, but it, it's, it's not one answer. And like I said, it's there, the timing's different for each one. And so I think mm-hmm. your compostables is, is probably further out. You're hearing a lot more about it now because people are focusing their energy there. But if we look at the amount of resin in the world today for that's truly compostable, it's really small for our packaging needs. And so where we, you know, we work with the resin providers and the converters and we start to say, okay, well, let's focus on some of these applications. Let's help you build up. Let's commercialize this one. Let's get your scale up and, and let's bring it into the marketplace as we continue to go. And, and that's sort of hand in hand with us trying to work with the composters and everybody else to, you know, yeah, will you I was just gonna it? Say, will you certify it? Yeah. You know, so it's not just us. So incremental changes and more seats at the table. Is that 
yeah, somewhat of the approach. Incremental changes where we can, um, and you know, groups like ours where you know we're partnering with these other companies to to really bring things to the forefront and see if we can do it faster. Yeah. So that, that's you know why Mari exists is is more can we put some money and and some brains and resources around some of this stuff and help accelerate it. And that is a good segue to the question I wanted to ask you. You work with a lot of partners and academic institutions. How do you normally solicit them and how do you tend to work with them? Yeah, I think... Um, you mentioned a DARPA model. I'm just curious. Yeah. So one of the things is we, we have the challenges and, and we can put out challenges at, at times. Um, I think you know we go through the workshops and internally we've selected areas that we want to work in. Um, we've identified people around the globe that are working in those areas and, and doing good work. Um, and then we start to approach them and, and develop the relationships. I'd say first and foremost that, you know, they've got to be doing the, the good science in the areas that we want uh, and, and have, you know, really similar goals and let's say culture, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If you just want to make money off of it, you know, from that standpoint and you're like, I don't care, we're just going to make money and then you go down it, um, probably not a fit for us, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we, we want to identify the science. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing where we're not going to overhype something just because you think you're going to make money off it. We really want to solve the solution and make money off it. I mean, it's important, but, you know, we're, we're not going to overhype something just because you think you have that answer. Let's quickly talk about the disciplines that are really intriguing to you, the interdisciplinary nature of the work that you're doing. So you, I know you waste management, composters, but in the sciences, what are the disciplines that you think um, may have some insights to bear? Yeah, certainly chemistry, uh, material science, um, you know, physics as we go through some of those, the mechanical sciences as we think about machining and, and what we're doing more and more the biological and agricultural sciences. Um, it's just been fascinating to us as we think about how new materials are made, um, how they're consumed. So we have uh, programs that we're looking at that, you know, um, when things degrade, how do they degrade? What's that science of that degradation? Are we sure everything's good? You know, we're not mm -hmm. generating chemical intermediates along the way that might be bad because we're, we're talking about putting things back in the earth and back in the soil. Uh, and so we're really heavily leading, leaning on those people to, to help us understand what's happening on uh, soil conditions and marine conditions and, you know, what those degradation atmospheres are like and, mm -hmm. and how they attack materials. Um, so there's a, you know, when we go through there, that I think that's super exciting. I think the, the soil chemist, right, and, and agricultural people as they're evaluating microbiomes of soils, is, you know, how does composting help? But, you know, if our materials in there that we're designing as a packaging, is it good? Is it bad? Um, you know, okay, let's screen down on these. And so for me, super excited in that area. And then, you know, probably lastly, some of these, these engineering aspects of how do you make the full process work? Right, especially from an anaerobic digestion or, or other area. So to that end, since we're talking to a research community here, I, you know, 30 minutes isn't nearly enough time to talk about sort of the intricacies of this problem. Um, is there anything else that's important to consider that I, that we haven't touched on that you're like, wait, and let me leave you with this thought. Yeah. Wow. It's, 
I mean, it goes fast, doesn't it? And I could talk to you all day about this, as you can probably tell. Uh, so it's a, a passion of mine. I think the biggest thing is you, we have a, a lot of people focusing on new materials and we see a lot of new materials come out of there. I think thinking about the design, not just how we get it from economic scale up, but how do we do that package design uh, you know, for composting and recycling and, and still maintain performance. And I think the back end, right? I don't, I think there's more research needed. You know, how do we turn biological waste into valuable other materials? How do we think about those driving those economics of the back end so that we can, you know, sort of do the pull through? Because today mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, put it in here and we've got soil amendment and, and valuable, but could we make more value out of that and then really drive things through an economic model, not just a, we want to do good model. So if someone's hearing this and they, they have either research on that or knowledge about that, and they wanted to contribute expertise to any of your efforts, what would be the best way for them to do that? Reach yeah. out on LinkedIn or? Reach out on LinkedIn, tag me, uh, get a hold of me, and, and we'll figure out how to connect and, and talk. And um, we'll introduce you to a bunch of people as well. I think that's one of our great jobs is we get to introduce scientists to other scientists to help make the world a better place. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Really appreciate it. I could also talk about this for much longer because it's such an interesting, <laughs> I'd like to have like a different episode on every aspect of this. But thank you for your time. Um, and uh, we're going to put all this information at the bottom of the episode so people will have your link and um, and also maybe some of the materials from the circular economy that, that you talked about. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Terry. I really appreciate you having me.